I'm the rookie of the year. I'm the rookie of the year. I'm the rookie of the year. Yeah, I'm the rookie of the year. Just in time away from all my peers. Started working hard for my career. Now I said to say a lot and clear. Yeah, I'm the rookie of the year. Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. As you well know, I am John Ledyard, and it is time for our special guest Thursday podcast that we do. We've been bringing in people to talk box football. We've been bringing in people to talk. Uh, we'll bring in people as we get closer to the offseason. I know Bucks fans are kind of like, oh, I don't want to think about the draft too much yet. I'm used to doing that every single year at this uh, this yeah. time of the year. Uh, but we are going to talk a little bit of draft today, and I'm super excited to have our guests for today on the show. Pro Football Focus's lead NFL draft analyst and a great friend of mine, Mike Renner, one of the best in the business. Mike, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great, man. appreciate you having me on. You asked me this morning, and I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. Talk some basketball. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it's been fun. I mean, it's been – both of us have kind of – you know, we both have backgrounds in the NFL draft, and obviously you you know, watch all these games and study all these players as they kind of come into the league. And one of the things that I know you and I both get so excited about when we're coming from that college football season, that evaluation period after college football season, and then through that offseason, especially an offseason like this one, and then into the NFL season is we want to see – what is going on with these rookies? Like, how are these rookies playing? And how quickly can these guys, a lot of that we that we like pre-draft, how quickly can they acclimate themselves to the NFL? And the Bucks have had a, a terrific start for the rookie class. So I know it's been fun for me to watch. I'm sure fun for you to watch as well. But just as you look at all the draft classes from last year and just kind of evaluate how these guys, obviously a weird offseason, how these teams' classes are kind of playing right now, do you see the Bucks class as maybe the – was it crazy to say they're the best class? I mean, we obviously are half a season in, so that disclaimer is out there. But is it crazy to say they're the best class so far? I think they're the best class relative to where they were slotted to draft. I think in terms of impact, you're not going to beat you know, what the Bengals got from Joe Burrow, and then T. Higgins looks really good as a second rounder. So they're probably yeah. in that realm. Sure. But you've got to take quarterback position out of it. You've got a stud tackle and you've got a stud safety with your first and second round pick. And you weren't, you didn't have a top five pick. You didn't have a top 10 pick. You're outside looking in on both those positions seemingly. And to get which looks like the best one at each position so far yeah. is that's a swing and a, you know, grand slam for the Bucks this year. Right. Yeah, it's been – I mean, Tristan Wirfs, as Coy Christensen puts up here, and uh, welcoming fans that are jumping in here and watching and checking us out. If you're familiar, the Pewter Report podcast, we're live four days a week. You can subscribe over at YouTube, uh, Pewter Report TV. Uh, we constantly bring in Bucks content. Yesterday, Scott and I broke down Bucks Saints in depth, so make sure you want to run over there and check out uh, that stuff uh, because that podcast was uh, hitting and fans were great during that podcast as well. So lots of good content here always. If you have questions, send them our way. If you got super chat donations, send our way. Send those our way as well. We'd appreciate that. Mike's got a lot of data and information on the Bucks that I don't always even have. So if you have questions for him or for, or for us, definitely send them our way and we'll do our best to be able to answer those for you during the show. But we are talking Bucks rookies, and eventually at the end of this thing, we're going to get to Mike's latest pro football focus NFL mock draft for 2021. I know Bucks fans are like, I don't want to talk about the draft yet because this season's going so great. We, don't, we usually are already focused on the draft, but you don't have to worry about it. You can still be enjoying this season. Uh, and you can, uh, at the same time, be looking forward to the draft and potentially getting some help there. So we'll talk about that at the end of the show as well. But Tristan Wirfs, Mike, you tweeted this out the other day. I think it was maybe yesterday. 
And somebody was talking about who should win offensive rookie of the year, who should be the front runners. And you said Tristan Wirfs. And we all know Tristan Wirfs isn't going to win offensive rookie of the year because he plays offensive tackle. And that's just not sexy enough for people, but it is sexy to us. And so like, let's talk about Tristan Wirfs, man. Like how rare is it to see a tackle come into the NFL and do the kind of things he's doing? It, it really is incredible. I don't, I, I can't think of a tackle, uh, in recent memory that really hit the ground running as fast as he did. You'd have to probably go back to I don't know, Tyron Smith was probably the one who really like came in he was right tackle his rookie year for Cowboys. And just like, you looked at him, you're like, okay, that guy's, he's got it. Like that guy's yeah. going to be an elite tackle for the, you know, the, the prototypical 10 year tackle. That's what Tristan Wirfs looks like right now. And, right. and I didn't expect it right out the gate. There were issues on tape last year, but I think the thing that is, always difficult in the NFL draft process is that the same leap that some guys take from sophomore to junior, junior, to senior in college, these breakout prospects, some guys take that the year after they get drafted. Some guys like put it all together and all of a sudden that clicks in that off season after they get drafted, you know, in the summer leading up to the draft. And I think Worfs just looks like one of those guys where issues we saw on tape last year, a lot of things like he's legitimately, you could argue he's playing better now than he was at any point at Iowa, which just like doesn't happen uh, yeah. for anyone in the NFL. You're exactly right. I mean, I, I watched him in college and Bucks fans know because they've heard me talk about him a ton on the draft show when the Bucks picked him. And, you know, I was ecstatic about the pick. But at the same time, I've written honestly in the summer about uh, I think we need to temper our expectations with Tristan Wirfs and the way that offensive tackles tend to hit the ground in the NFL. It's usually there's just usually a tough transition. You can't replicate the caliber of pass rusher and the volume of pass of true pass protection snaps that you get in the NFL. You can't really be prepared for that per se, based on your college experience, especially the vast majority of the time in college, you're just not coming from offenses that operate the same way and definitely not operating against the caliber of pass rusher you get in the NFL. They're just very rare in college football. And so I think that was like, I was just like, I don't expect Tristan Wirfs to like, be elite his first year but in pass protection especially when you consider the context of his matchups mike it really kind of looks like that's what he's been yeah that's the thing they're not babying him with their like a lot of rookies will come in and you, you get chips you get help and they realize that that's going to be the weak link he's been you know they're blocking him jordan one-on-one -on -one. they're not really just giving him you know they're giving him one-on-one -on -one matchups and asking him to do it. and he has and, and i think the biggest thing that you see him uh, and Becton also, I'll say, but like compared to the other rookie tackles is that their punch and just how explosive they are, like guys are not going through. Them. They are so much the strength in their hands and their core is translated so well that you're going to have to you know, have you're going to have to win. With, you're going to be a pretty skilled pass rusher to yeah. beat Tristan Wirfs already consistently because of his physical advantage. It seems like he has against every edge he's going up against. And everyone kind of knew that going in, but it was something that on tape at Iowa you really didn't see that often. Like you saw him get bull rushed by Josh Uchi last year. It was like 240 pounds. You saw some reps on tape where he, that, that was an issue for him, but now it really has been at the NFL level. Yeah. To go in week one and hold up against Cam Jordan's power for the most part was yeah. wild when I saw Josh Uche knock him back a little, you know, a little bit in college at least. And, you know, I, I'm the same as you. I felt like Tristan Wirth had an elite skill set, but when I watch him right now in the NFL, I honestly, I mean, it was week one, you know, this, like you watch guys enough that, you can see them in college. You can project how they go. But there's some guys in week one, you can just look at them and be like, yep, I was right. Or, yep, I was wrong. Like, I missed him. Like, I can see by the way he moves. I can see by the way he throws or catches or whatever. Like, 
you can just tell sometimes whether you were tight enough or low enough on a guy. And, you know, I had Werfs' OT2 in that class, and I still feel good about that. And I think Jedrick Wills has been awesome, especially in pass protection, you know, as a rookie. And so I, I still feel good about that. But there's you you watch Werfs right now. Don't you get the feeling like we could be seeing, like, the best tackle in the league maybe, like that caliber of a player? There's not really a true weakness there. That's the thing. That's what I'm talking about with like the leap he took. Everyone missed him. No one saw him. Right. Like, no one predicted. Right, right. You just don't predict that. You don't see a, uh, a jump and play like this coming from really anyone. So him being OT4 by NFL standards, by where he got drafted, uh, we were both OT2 on him. I think every one of us, would, if we had a do-over, would do it differently again. And I think he'd be OT1 for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, back to playing really well. But I do think that worse has been better from what I've seen. So, yeah, uh, they're, like I said, this is a different guy and it's just like the bucks fans should realize that this is rare they're like this does not happen that they they hit an absolute uh grand slam with this one yeah absolutely and, and appreciate the the contribution callum uh appreciate you always jumping in here and interacting and appreciate the questions that we're getting as well i see the questions about devin white i knew as soon as i had a pro football focus person on on the show we would get some Devin White questions that I did promise to answer. So we will try to touch on Devin White and pro football focus grade, what fans see and what he needs to improve on maybe but by the end of the show, just to make sure y'all um, y'all have, have that, that itch scratched because I know that question has been lingering in the minds of Bucks fans. This is a good question here from Greg. I've thought about this a lot actually, and I appreciate this question, Greg. Do we think that the lack of full stadiums has positively impacted Worf's ability to do focus to focus on his job? And I guess it wouldn't just be Worf's; it would also be all offensive tackles. We've seen three rookie offensive tackles hit the ground running, really, and playing at a high level. Uh, through you know, and Jedrick Wills, Mackay Becton, and and Tristan Worf's empty stadiums definitely has something to do with this, right, Mike? Yeah, I, I think that's that's big for the offense just in general. That's been like a right. lot of the points being scored this year is because you being able to use a hard count at any point just slows down pass rush. It's it's difficult to necessarily quantify. We probably have to have a big sample to really say what, uh, you know, the impact has been if it has, but anyone who plays football knows football, anything about football knows that it's a big impact and that that definitely slows down a pass rusher to have to deal with the hard count. So I do think that, yes, that's helped. That's not going to be, if you watch Tristan worse, that's not why he's good. Like that's not like, it's right. not all of a sudden like next year when they can't, when you know stadiums are full, it's going to suck. That's not how that works either. Right. Yeah. So it's it is something to consider. I think Greg, and it is a good point. You know, just in evaluating offenses in general this year, but also in evaluating tackle play, especially week one. I remember Werfs was like he was getting off the snap. His timing was just incredible. I just he's, he was so explosive. I mean, that's continued too. But you know, it was definitely something that I noted, um, even with the crowd noise and things like that. It's like man, I wonder, you know, if this is going to be something that he can continue uh, in the future. And I think that, I think that it will be, uh, let's move on to Antoine Winfield, you know, the John or the, the bucks kind of jump up and take Antoine or sorry, not jump up, but they stay where they are. And they take Antoine Winfield in the second round after jumping up a spot to get Tristan Wirfs in the first round. They obviously didn't have a lot to work with. I think maybe this was an oversight on my part going in, but I, was hard because they're so vague about Justin Evans health and you know they just drafted Mike Edwards and they seemed really high on him and so it's kind of like are they really going to take a safety high in the draft and it kind of snuck up on us a little bit the fact that they did it I think but now when you watch Antoine Winfield play and uh, you know I I know you'll talk about where you were at with Winfield um, before the draft Winfield for me was a top 25 player I never thought of him as a Buccaneer before the draft and so that was a miss 
for me on the team player pairing because now that I see it, it makes complete sense. And part of it's knowing like Justin Evans is just probably going to be done. Um, you know, may, knowing that makes fit made sense. But at the same time, you looked at Antoine Winfield and you saw instincts, you saw ball skills, and now and you saw playmaking ability at all three roles. You know, playing in the slot, playing in the box, playing single high, or playing deep and coverage. And we've really seen that translate pretty seamlessly to the NFL, right, Mike? Yeah, he. I, I want to. I want to say he probably slipped because of the injuries. He had two ACLs tears yeah. at Minnesota. That there's just a lot of teams that are hesitant to draft guys with bit, that big injury red flags in the draft. So that's probably why he falls the second round. But you know, hats off to the Bucks for saying, you know, we don't really care. We're all in right now. We want guys who can make this impact. And the their sort of emphasis on adding secondary players is why they are one of the top defenses in the NFL right now because they have to have so many playmakers. But Winfield. He's been again another guy who this was this was who he was at Minnesota. There's been no sort of learning curve. And I think a lot of people that watch him at Minnesota are not surprised that he's hit the ground running as quickly as he has. He was, you know, he's watching tape with his dad at three years old. This guy knows yeah. the NFL inside and out, knows, you know, cover that was the, the plays he would make on route concepts back at Minnesota were just like other guys in the country weren't making those plays. He just read it so quickly. Uh, such a good tackler in space, uh, just plays so fast that, uh, like, th this isn't necessarily surprising. The surprising thing was that no one really took the chance on him earlier. Right. Yeah. He is, he's kind of been a curious player to figure out what's the best thing to do with Antoine Winfield because he can do everything well. You know, when, when uh, Sean Murphy Bunting got hurt, I think it was against, yeah, it was against Denver. And then Winfield kind of goes from playing free safety where he played like most of the season. He goes from playing in that role to then being moved up and playing in the slot the rest of the game. And Denver's got some pretty decent players to put in the slot. And he's playing in that role, and Mike Edwards is playing single high. And then we've seen him a ton as a blitzer this year, and he forced a couple fumbles and has a couple sacks. And so he's a guy that you've been able to do – they've been able to do kind of everything with, but it's about getting him to fit with the rest of the safeties on their team, right? So Mike Edwards' recent like emergence is kind of a free safety ball hawk. And he was okay last year. I, I didn't see anything trending in the direction of what his snaps this year have looked like. And he's I don't think he's even played 100 – yeah, he hasn't even played 100 snaps. I think maybe like 84 snaps this year. Um, but he's kind of trending in that direction, and it's allowed them to be flexible with Winfield. As you've watched and move him around a little bit more, as you've watched Winfield, you've seen him deep. You've seen him in some man coverage in the NFL. Obviously, you've seen him in the box, and you've scouted him coming in. Do you feel like there's a role that's best for him? Is he just kind of like the perfect hybrid NFL safety for right now? Or is there like a spot when you watch him, you're like, I think he might be able to do everything, but I really wish they'd play him here more. What's kind of your thoughts on his role and usage being the safety position, being so flexible these days? I don't think there's one role where I said I love him in that. I think deep was where I was most impressed with him at Minnesota. Yeah. And just in terms of like, it's difficult to be a good deep free safety. A lot of guys just placeholders back there. They kind of just like drop to their spot and then that's it. But I thought he really put caps on opposing offenses. And so as much as like, you know, you it's flashier to make plays around the line of scrimmage and it's great to bust up screens. I think those deep plays, the guy that can really change the game from that role is more valuable because that's, that puts a cap on your defense. Like you're, you're limiting big plays. Those are the high leverage plays that lose you games. And so to have that guy there, that's probably where I'd say he's best. But, but again, it's not like, it's not like he's a liability anywhere else. Like I, the guy really has a Swiss army knife skill set. So yeah. uh, I, I think those type of players, those like, like you mentioned, the, 
the glue guys that can make up for if you got an injury somewhere are so valuable in today's NFL that he right. have one of them. I think that's again why you see your defense really sort of change overnight. Right. It's it's crazy that I said this before the season started. I thought Winfield would be their best rookie, and he's been one of the better rookies in the NFL, and he still hasn't been the best rookie on the box, really, because of how good Tristan Wirfs has been. So that that in and of itself is surprising enough. But with Winfield, one of the crazy things about it that made it easy for – even if you weren't that high on Winfield pre-draft, everybody thought he'd hit the ground running faster than other people because of, like you said, his dad playing in the NFL. Everybody raved about his interviews, how smart he was, how good of a communicator he was. So, But fans, I think Bucks fans were kind of like, man, like when I said in the offseason, I thought Winfield would step into the starting lineup by week one or two and he would be the quarterback of the secondary because of how vocal he is. I think there was some surprise at that because for a rookie, they've drafted a lot of guys in the recent years and they haven't seen anybody take command of the secondary from a vocal perspective. As good as Carlton Davis is, that's not really his what he does. And that's not really what Jamel Dean's done or Sean Murphy Bunting has done. You know, and Jordan Whitehead's tried to be that guy, but he's not the every down talented hybrid player that Winfield is. And so there's been kind of as talented as they were, as many good players as they drafted, and as much as you know, I know Pro Football Focus has praised them, and I've praised them for flooding that position. They have now a guy who not only is super talented, but can be the quarterback and communicator of the entire secondary back there. How valuable do you think that is, especially given the age of their group in general? I think it's valuable, and especially considering you know Todd Bowles' defenses going to blitz a lot. You're going to, it's going to be on your yeah. secondary. You're going to have to be reacting and passing off stuff quickly because you're not going to have a lot of help with a lot of guys dropping. So, yeah, I, I do think that, you know, having one guy with his type of just the way he sees the game and that can get calls out and go back to a guy like watching Luke Keekley in that Panthers defense uh, for all those years, the way he could get them into the right looks was just so valuable for guys that now kind of look you know, guys like uh, who's the other linebacker there, Shaq Thompson, like looked great when he was playing with Luke. Doesn't look nearly as good when he's not playing with Luke Keekley because that's just that guy. You can't really put a you know a value tag on what that means to a defense. Right. Yeah. It, it's uh. You know, I think honestly, when you look at the Bucks defense right now, and you take out and somebody like Antoine Winfield, it's a little bit scary to think about. I mean, Mike Edwards has played well but it's been like a, a limited sample size with Edwards so far. And so it's kind of like, okay, what could the ceiling be with this group without Winfield? And with Winfield in there, you feel a lot better about the direction that they're heading. You can almost bet on them, I think, being uh, one of the top tier units when he's back there, especially in the secondary. Another place you can bet is with our friends over at my bookie. Late fall, college football, the NBA bubble, and UFC Fight Island. It's clear 2020 has been a year unlike any other, which is why you need a sports book with offers unlike any other. Get some skin in the game with my bookie, where odd boosts, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with Turkey Day right around the corner, there really is no better time to feast on some NFL action. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close. So you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use the promo code Pewter, P-E-W-T-E-R, to get your deposit matched halfway 
all the way up to a thousand bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you are already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. Use the promo code Pewter, P-E-W-T-E-R, when you sign up. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Mike, one of the players that Bucks fans have kind of, they're not really sure how to feel about him. They want him to play more, but they're not really sure whether he's going to be good when they play him more is Keyshawn Vaughn, the, the third-round rookie that they that they selected. And they, they everybody knew going to the draft that running back was going to be maybe a priority. Um, you know, a lot of people thought Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, if he made it to the second round, would be a buck. There was tons of talk about J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor, everybody really. Yeah, every running back in the draft. There was really no talk about Keyshawn Vaughn, and there definitely wasn't talk about Keyshawn Vaughn in the third round. It was one of the more shocking third-round picks to me. I did not see – I watched him. I studied him. I graded him. I, I didn't see him being a third-round pick. And so I was surprised when they selected him. Then when they went out and signed LaShawn McCoy and they signed Leonard Fournette, it became clear pretty quickly that Keyshawn Vaughn wasn't factoring into their plans for the 2020 season, which – that's not something you want at running back, right? When you're drafting a running back, you want him to hit the ground running, don't you? Yeah, and he was fifth year guy, right? Like he was already mm. grad, whatever. There's not really too much of an excuse for him to have to not be up to speed at the NFL level or not look good. So that that one, there's like those guys every year to where I'm like high in them going into the draft, and then the NFL picks them like two rounds higher than I would have, and I'm like, whoa, okay, wasn't <laughs> that high? Like uh, who is the guy? Uh, LJ Collier a couple of years ago. It's like, I was right. like, Collier, you know, if you can get him at the top of the third round, not the back of the first, <laughs> like, I like on, if you can get him in the fifth, not the third round. So that's how I felt about him. Uh, I'm not going to give up on any guy right away. As we've seen Ronald Jones has had sort of a second act to his career already in this rookie contract yeah. that it can happen, but he was a guy who you like watching him at Vanderbilt, you thought like his running style would translate quickly to the NFL. He was a one cut runner did not dance in the backfield, wasn't sort of, you know, looking for a home run. You'd think that guy should, you know, come into an NFL backfield and be good. If he's not, that's kind of, uh, that's, that's scary, I'll just say. Yeah, big red flag. Yeah, and one of the reasons why he was eventually active was because there were some injuries. So Sean McCoy was hurt, and uh, actually everybody was hurt, I think, kind of to a degree, except for Ronald Jones. Um, and Ken John Barner got hurt, and uh, Leonard Fournette got hurt, and so it was kind of like everybody was out of the lineup. Okay, we got to activate Keyshawn Vaughn. We got to play him, and he caught a touchdown. And but he also has dropped. He's only been targeted like six times, and he's dropped like two or three passes, and he fumbled against the Bears. I know it was a big hit, but you know it's just kind of been like, man, like you're not even asking. Like in the Bucks backfield, and you know this if you've watched their games, and I fans laugh because I ran about this all the time. It should not be that hard to be just a back that can catch the ball in the, in the flat and then like get upfield and like just turn around and catch the ball underneath. Like that shouldn't be a hard thing to do and they can't do it. And so they tried Keyshawn Vaughn in that role. And in college, like it looked like he could catch the ball a little bit, but so far in the NFL, that doesn't seem to be a strength either. Yeah. He had a bunch of long catches, not like they were like swing passes, but then he turned them yeah. into long catches at Vanderbilt. And I thought, you know, as the receiver, I think that's why they drafted him. I was like, this guy, he was right. good at catching swing passes in Vanderbilt. Like, that was – he looked like he had good enough ball skills to do that in the NFL. So, the fact that he has that is just – that's the yeah. thing you just don't know about some of these guys, how that happens. Because you're only getting – we're saying he looked good catching swing passes. That was probably 20 swing passes his entire, you know, right. all last year. Which is like – it's such a small sort that's of right. thing to evaluate that, yeah – 
sometimes you just miss on guys like that. Because yeah, of- right. And a lot of those, I think there were screens too. Like he was in the screen game. He did a good job of kind of like reading blocks and space. That was one of the few positive comments I had. But I thought he was a fine, he was an okay player. But, um, you know, Sincere Johnson wants to ask, you know, what do you think Keyshawn Vaughn's ceiling can be if he gets the starter role? And I just don't see him ever getting the st- – it was hard to envision. I mean, maybe I'll eat those words someday and – I mean, look, Ronald Jones, like you said, Ronald Jones made a turnaround to, you know, and I think the jury's still kind of out about whether he's good. He had that three-game stretch, and now he's struggling and he's losing snaps to Fournette. So I still don't know how good he is, but he's turned it around and made it – you know, he hasn't been like a bust per se. But at the same time, now you're talking about Keyshawn Vaughn, and, you know, he wasn't as good as Ronald Jones coming out. I think everybody agrees about that. And now you have him kind of buried and and already was an older rookie. And so we'll see. You know, we're just going to keep – evaluating i don't think we need to like write the book on Keyshawn vaughn yet it's, it's still time um one thing the bucks did come back and do later in the draft was take a player that i think i personally wouldn't have been shocked to see him take in the third round and they had it say they had a third round grade on and i had a third round grade on and i know pro football focus loved him as well i forget exactly where he was for y'all but it was tyler johnson in the fifth round i mean they waited it out they had no fourth round pick because they traded one for gronkowski and the other one to move up for tristan Wirfs. they waited it out got tyler johnson he goes into this offseason. He basically misses the whole offseason because he's, he's hurt. He has a hamstring, I believe, if I'm remembering right. Um, and he so he barely practices with the team. So at the beginning of the year, obviously, he's not active or anything. We actually thought going in, we were like, are they going to cut him? It's a weird year. You know, with the roster, you know, you just don't know how many – like he hasn't done anything. You know, there's no priest. Like, and they at the time, you know, it's like how, how many roster spots are you going to have for wide – because they're wide receivers. They had a lot of guys in camp that they liked. And so – it was we just didn't know what was going to go on. Then he finally gets healthy, gets out into practice, he quickly earns roles in games, and now he's playing regular snaps. What have been your observations? Well, first of all, I guess what what did you think of Tyler Johnson coming out? Because fans probably aren't totally aware of your the fact that you all were really high on him, and and what have you thought about those expectations you had maybe compared to how he's done? I know in a small sample size so far. Yeah, he was in the fifties on our draft board. I was a huge fan of him. I thought he could run you know, underneath intermediate routes and get open regularly. I just thought like he had that capability, that shiftiness that it takes. And I think we've seen that. The worry was he wasn't necessarily fast. Like he was probably going to be limited to the slot. It's not going to be a necessary, I can be a great downfield guy, like separation wise. I think he's really good in contest situations, attack the ball really well, but he was never going to be, you know, never going to be Mike Evans on a vertical tree. Like you're just not going to be that guy. But going to Tampa Bay, that's not worth you're going to ask him to do. I thought it was a perfect fit for what he does well. Uh, and I think he's kind of been as advertised, hasn't had a huge role, hasn't had a huge opportunity, but when he has, like he's made plays and he's made plays after the catch and at the catch point, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's been uh really fun to watch him. I think get out on the field um, first game out there. I think he had a drop and then it was negated by penalty and it was, you know, is it was a too big for him? But then he comes back and looked great against the bears in that first half, you know, some of the, Again, it's like one of those things, you know, you watch a guy move in the NFL and you're like, yeah, like, you know, the big question with Tyler Johnson that everybody that didn't like him kind of was knocking his athleticism. And so, and I think it was, you know, to a degree, I don't think he was a great athlete, but he something about a guy's ability to move functionally for their position matters way more than how well you test. And watching him in college, it was the same thing, you know, you wonder if it translates to the NFL. And I watched him in the NFL so far. And I've just said, man, it's a guy that can just get open. Like he just gets open and he makes tough catches. Like that's the thing people didn't understand. Cause Tyler Johnson, like he's got this lanky frame. He's not like a big dude. He's not like built like Mike Evans or Chris Godwin or anything like that. 
but people just slept on I think the amount of contested catches that this guy made down the field in college ball skills and tough catches while he was getting hit he has that edge kind of I think that you really I think I, that I really like in receivers like I don't feel like a lot of receivers that play with the edge he plays with end up busting in the NFL and I don't it's obviously not just that but I think at the same time that's part of it his ability to go into basically all the tough spaces on a football field and make catches is really helpful. Then when you have a guy like Tom Brady, he'll throw the ball to anybody, you know, even if there's a sliver separation, if you're the right guy, you're the right guy on the play. You know, I think it just makes a quarterback comfortable with you pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. That was the thing that I kept saying with him was uh, his biggest trait was that he just would attack the ball, would go over the middle of the field. And now that's not nearly as big a thing as it would have used to be. But you could trust him to attack the ball, and that's that gets you that ingratiates you to a quarterback quickly because you're not going to risk, you know, in those contested throws like, you know, that slant to, that Brady threw to Nikhil Harry, where Nikhil Harry just gives it up uh, and, and throws an interception last year against the Texans. Like yeah. you're not going to get that from Tyler Johnson. He's going to get to exactly. the ball every single time. You're not going to have to worry about that. And I think that's such a that, that doesn't that's not every single receiver in the NFL. That's not every guy has that sort of ability and want to. I think Tyler Johnson definitely had that. So I, I think you'll see his role only and now they have Antonio Brown, so what no mm-hmm. won't increase. But I think you'll see him gain more trust with Tom Brady as the season goes on when he is on the field. Yeah, he is kind of an odd evaluation right now because you're right. Like we might not see him the rest of the year if everybody stays healthy. I mean, they've got Scotty Miller, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown. But this offseason is interesting because you obviously have a situation with Chris Godwin becoming a free agent and Antonio Brown, uh, you know, will be obviously a free agent as well. And so you have an opportunity. I'm not saying they're going to lose Chris Godwin. I think everybody expects Chris Godwin to be back but they have admitted that they see some Chris Godwin in Tyler Johnson and in his game. And I think it's a fair evaluation. And if they, for some reason, couldn't, I think Tyler Johnson is kind of with Scotty Miller and Mike Evans, obviously being the other starters, Tyler Johnson would be that kind of insurance policy as, um, as their guy that would step in in place of Chris Godwin, if they lost him. So we'll see um, lots to certainly evaluate there and to keep evaluating with Tyler Johnson. Hopefully we get, a chance to do that at least a little bit as the season goes on. Speaking of insurance policies, though, there were still some hurricanes forming in the Gulf, so don't wait to review your insurance policies. Call Briar Greaves Insurance, which is family-owned and has served the greater Tampa Bay area for 30 years. For your home, auto, boat, life, commercial, and flood insurance needs, there's a lot of homeowner companies are canceling or not renewing policies, leaving Florida or increasing premiums significantly Call Briar Greaves and speak directly to Briar or Sam for a personalized touch for information on the best rates. The folks at Briar Greaves Insurance are big fans of the Buccaneers and proud sponsors of the Pewter Report podcast on pewterreport.com. Visit Briar Greaves Insurance or call 813-876-4166. That's 813-876-4166 today. Mike, we've talked about a lot of things on this show so far, but the fans do want one question answered before I let you go, before we touch on your mock draft and then before I let you go. And they are clamoring to know about Devin White. Devin White is a player obviously here. You know, there there are different sections of Tampa Bay fan bases. They saw him go five overall, and they still see these highlight real plays with Devin White that are everybody agrees are unbelievable. And he had these at LSU too, even though he's playing time there was, you know, he didn't play a lot until his last season, but it was kind of, it's, been this process with Devin White where we've seen all these flashy plays and then there's the consistency when you look at every snap with Devin White that you're like, mm, like I, 
like these are the plays like if you're the, if you're the top five guy like it you know can you make these plays too please you know kind of part of his evaluation what have you all seen i know your grades on devin white uh, at pro football focus are on the lower end overall then when you look at the different sections for devin white there's different evaluations too um you know since johnson says yes devin white is too low on pro football focus but then there are also bucks fans that think that see devin white and they get it and they tweet at me during games and they're like this is why, like he's he's missed these tackles, he's done this, you know what I mean. So, what just your thoughts so far on Devin White and his game, where you've seen it come from year one to year two, and kind of where you see it going? So, there's a few things that play here. One, uh, just because he's graded low doesn't mean that I can't see that the talent's there, and that like he could very soon be one of the best linebackers in the NFL. Like uh, that's that's not that's not writing him off by any means just because he is graded low. You see the physical tools, and like you said, you see those highlight plays. I think second thing is, and when you do have those physical tools, and when you are a freak athlete, a defense coordinator will ask you to do more. Like he's he's not necessarily asked to execute some easy coverage roles in that defense because of it. But True. the third thing is, straight up, he is his reactions in zone coverage and sort of his instincts, the way he sees the game, has not been great. Like it has not yeah. been, uh, you know, the way Antoine Winfield breaks down routes and sees things coming is not the way Devin White sees. Like he is not nearly at that level. He's given up twice as many yards as Levante David this year in coverage. Uh, just purely like that's a stat that like he has not been that guy that's consistent down in, down out, uh, has that sort of plays like he makes up for a lot of plays with his speed and athleticism, but he's not getting there before and sort of preventing plays. So, uh, that, that can happen. That gets better. That like the more you're in a defense, that will improve. And it, and I think we even saw it improve as the year went on as a rookie last season. So, like I'm not writing him off, but I do think there are issues. And like he's not been nearly a top. Like people say, he's one of the best slivers in the NFL. I, I don't think he's played like that at least this year, uh, so far. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I've written about it. I wrote an article a few weeks ago. You can search on pewterreport.com and, and you can see I wrote about how Devin White's struggles in coverage. You know, I almost every linebacker in the league that's good is has some degree, I in my opinion anyway, of volatility against the run. You know, they're depending on the situation, like not a lot of linebackers in today's NFL are stacking and shedding blocks. It's just a reality. Like the position's not built like that anymore. And if they are, they're usually not very good at other things if they're doing that well. And so you kind of have your types at linebackers. So I can live with the occasional issue getting off a block in the run game or something like that. I can even live with the occasional missed tackle. But in today's NFL, if you can't cover at linebacker and you have issues in coverage at linebacker, it's hard for me to say that you're a top player at your position like that to me is just so, so, so important. And that is where he struggled. He struggled in zone coverage. I think he struggled when he is in man coverage opportunities, especially out of the backfield over aggressive, bad steps technique. And so I, I appreciate you saying that. I know the Bucks fans do get a little bit riled up about Devin White because the splash plays are so amazing and guys five sacks and, you know, he's probably going to go to the pro bowl because his name and because these statistics, you know, are just are what they are. And he makes some great plays against the run. You know, not many in coverage, but he makes great plays against the run. We saw against green Bay. How many times did he, I mean, he was hugely helpful in winning them that game. But when you look at every snap and you evaluate whether he's doing his job on every snap, the consistency is really, I think what's lacking. Now you've said this, what he grades like this season and even last season doesn't mean that he is doesn't you don't see a ceiling for one of the best players in the NFL. So I guess what I asked what I ask you here, and there's people in the chat, you know, he's a 
Greg says he's a better version of Quan Alexander, but he's no Derek Brooks. And 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 sincere says he's way better than Alexander. You know, so I I don't see him as Quan Alexander. Like I see him very different than Quan Alexander. But at the same time, I guess do you see comparisons to him and other players who've blossomed, or do you think there's kind of like a, a lack of instincts thing that may always plague him in coverage, but the other good things about him could offset that to some degree? Yeah, I think he's I think he's better than Quan Alexander. Like I, I did not ever see it with Quan Alexander that trying to get sold on that, and then when the 49ers gave him the big deal, like I I never saw it with him, and I think they obviously regretted it that they did. Yeah. They traded him, so uh, I think he's already better than him. But right. I don't think you I don't see you, I don't think you go from the level he's at to you know Bobby Wagner. Like Bobby Wagner had it right away. They're similar athletically. I don't think you will all of a sudden make that leap. Some guys just see the game differently, but I think you can go from the level he's at to kind of like Deion Jones-ish. Like Deion Jones, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think, had some similar issues back in college and then early in his career, and I think you could see that sort of leap uh, and yeah. and always going to bet on those guys who are just different athletically at the linebacker position because, like you said, there are plays that maybe they won't make in zone coverage, but then they'll make a play that literally no other linebacker, you know, maybe two other linebackers in the league do make. So I think you'll yeah. – have to take the good with the bad uh but you don't have you don't have to just because you're a fifth overall pick crown him as a top elite linebacker overnight just because he was like you can admit that there are some issues that still need to be fixed for a guy like that yeah the best way to evaluate is just to take that pedigree stuff out of your mind i think in some ways and just be able to look at players for what they are and what they aren't and that's what todd bulls has done and that's the reason why devin blight blitzes as much as he does he's terrific at blitzing you know that is like it's not high on your list of when you're looking at linebackers pre-draft. It's like not like one of your top things. But if you have a guy that uses you in the right way, then that skill set can really manifest itself and for the team be really impactful, even if the degree of difficulty as a blitzer is different than and the value as a blitzer is different than what you could provide in coverage as a linebacker, which is obviously like more valuable because there aren't many linebackers who are, who are really good at it. And so I think Devin White's valuable. I, I, I love watching him play, honestly, because – Every game, there could be a play that you just like will remember and talk about all week. Um, and players like that are a lot of fun. He is kind of, you know, this drives me crazy sometimes when people tweet like, he's a fun player. Like, okay, well, I know. I, that's great, but is he good? You know, is he good yeah. every snap? Um, and so, like, and I get like, but at the same time, that's Devin White, right? Like, he's everybody wa- likes to watch Devin White play. He plays with insane passion, insane physicality, and his closing speed is. Nuts. I mean, he was he was partially at fault for the the throwback pass the other day um, the, against the Giants in that game, and he laid a hit. But even you know, because his coverage responsibility, I think, was Wayne Gallman, and he leaked out if I'm remembering correctly. But and he goes and he chases the the quarterback. Obviously, and that's a trick play, and I, some of players are going to fall for that. He somehow goes from his position on the field all the way into the backfield and just levels Golden Tate as he throws that ball back. Um, I mean, he set him flying, and obviously, he was kind of off screen at that point because. Tate's throwing the ball backwards, but it was just another reminder of like, we are talking about a freak. So when sincere asks here, what do we think his ceiling is? I mean, you and I've never doubted his ceiling. Like this is a guy that has all the traits in the world to be unbelievable. And this is another comparison that Bucks fans that are on the negative side of things, they see Devin white as Jared Davis. Any truth to this one? Or do you think yeah. again, he's clearly better, right? Davis was not even, you never saw like, any place from Davis. Like there was yeah. no, there was no insight whatsoever. The guy was just lost in the sauce and still. Yeah. Right. No, I completely agree. I, I was very low on Jared Davis compared to everyone else, including the Detroit Lions. So I think Devin White's ceiling is sky high. I just think he's clearly not there yet. I think it's okay to say that. 
Uh, last thing that we'll ask you about, Mike, we got to get to your mock draft. Uh, we got to uh, talk to you about this pick. So in Mike's mock draft, which I encourage everyone to go over to pro football focus and check out he is the bucks picking 29th, which is a few spots too high, but that's okay. We'll, we'll overlook that for now. Uh, but he has a player. He's been picking a player that many people might be pretty familiar with that are bucks fans. Uh, if there's some Florida fans in the chat as well, uh, because he has them picking Florida edge defender, uh, Brenton Cox, who's off to a pretty good start sort of out of nowhere this year, right? I mean, he's uh, he's got – you right, he's got 21 pressures as well as nine run stops and has the athleticism to kind of warrant that first-round consideration. I've seen some of them too, but curious as to your thoughts on him so far and why he fits with the Bucks. Yeah, so obviously I think fits because they're going to need – they don't one, they don't have a lot of needs, and I believe uh, Shaq Barrett's on for franchise tag. Am I right? I'm right yeah, about, correct, right? yeah. So that, that one's no guaranteed return. Um, but Cox, so he's a five-star, went to Georgia, gets kicked off the team at Georgia, transfers to Florida. This season, I mean, to me, he looks like the most uh, gifted, probably edge rusher in the SEC so far that I've seen. Wow. And I got, you know, Ojolari from Georgia, uh, a couple other guys uh, in the SEC that are pretty good. But to me, this guy, he just kind of has that combination of explosiveness, bend, uh, and just the way he moves where you just can see it right away. Yeah. Uh, a guy like that, and obviously he's dominated four straight games, like averaging over five pressures a game, real nasty spin move. Um, and I think he's kind of only just scratching the surface. Like it's his first year really as a starter. He did play some as freshman at Georgia, but uh, I think by the end of the year, if he like gets better as the year goes along, which I would assume he would in his first year really playing college football, um, yeah, I think we'll be talking about this guy's first round pick. Could he be even higher than where I have him going there at 29? Yeah, yeah. Ben, pass rusher, you're right. I mean, Jason Pierre-Paul will be in last year of his contract, and he's aging, and um, obviously has a lengthy injury history, and then Shaq Barrett. Will be a free agent has not been great this season. Probably one of their more disappointing players. I mean, tough guy, plays well, you know, plays hard and everything like that, but hasn't been quite as dynamic as they hoped he'd be probably. And so, yeah, I think it's definitely a position that they'll be looking at and that hopefully they continue to strengthen because there's not really much depth on the current roster as well. So interesting stuff. Mike will be, I'm sure, if Lord willing, and hopefully he's cool with it, uh, beyond later, uh, maybe even later the season, but later uh, as we move toward draft season as well, to help us talk about a lot of these prospects and who the Bucks could be thinking about. I know Bucks fans, you're like, okay, we're going to come back to the draft because right now we're in the middle of a six and two season, and we've got our our, our sights set on on better things. And I think that that's uh, that's probably a good place to have your sights set right now, given the way that this team has played so far this season. So. Really fun stuff, Mike. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. This has been great. Make sure you're following Mike at PFF underscore Mike on Twitter. You want to make sure you're checking out all his stuff, especially his draft stuff. Doesn't tweet often, but when he does, you don't want to miss it. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for joining us on the show, man. For sure, John. Appreciate you having me, man. I'll uh, happy to come back anytime. Awesome. That sounds great to me. Well, we will be back on the Pewter Report podcast on Sunday night. It'll be a late one, but we'll be back after the Bucs Saints game on Sunday Night Football. We'll be bringing you our analysis and our thoughts from that game, breaking it down for you. And then obviously Monday at 4 p.m. as well. And then Wednesday, 4 p.m., Thursday, 4 p.m. next week. So we'll be on live. Make sure that you subscribe, hit that bell, get the notifications for when we go live. Until then, thanks so much for listening to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. Out.